Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host, Charlie McCarran, a composer in Minneapolis, and I'm excited to bring you this episode with cognitive neuroscientist Dr. Wilma Kutstull. She studies how creativity works, and she's written a ton about it, including an 800-page book called The Agile Mind. In our talk, she shares a lot of ideas that are helpful as a composer, such as how do you go from the abstract ideas down to the details and back in the creative process. She also talks about how to get in a more creative mindset and how to get out of writer's block if you're stuck. Before I go to my conversation with Wilma, just wanted to remind you that you can find all the other episodes at ComposerQuest.com or on iTunes or Stitcher. You can also stay in the loop at Facebook.com slash ComposerQuest twitter.com slash composerquest or email me directly charlie at composerquest.com all right enough plugging now on to my talk with the brilliant wilma kutstall wilma thanks so much for coming to my bedroom studio here (laughs) (laughs) it's wonderful to be here it's uh, exciting to be on composer quest it's not something i would have ever anticipated so we'll see how this goes sure so maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit Uh, how did you get interested in the psychology of creativity okay um that's a good question i think i've maybe always kind of been interested in creativity from the perspective that I always wanted to make things and I still think that really drives my psychology but then in terms of scientific research and empirical research my background is actually in memory and so very much sort of what ideas do we bring to mind how can we recombine them and and then creativity is kind of bringing ideas to mind but then making something new out of them yeah that's something that's interested me too is especially when I'm writing music what's the difference between when you're coming up with an original idea or drawing on old ideas and it's kind of hard to define where the boundary is between those two yes like there's probably a continuum and and um actually one of my early influences was William James and philosophy as well and this idea that you never have the same idea twice Even when we think we're remembering, like, there's some kind of creativity in how we remember each time. It's not exactly the same each time. It's people think of it as kind of your memory is kind of in there somewhere, but it's it's kind of dynamically brought online each time. And so even when we think we're repeating, we're probably doing a bit of creating as well. Hmm. Yeah, that reminds me of a Radiolab episode I listened to. They were talking about how you can never have the same memory twice really because like the first time a couple meets if they think about that time again they're recreating it with a new lens of yes a new lens and a new like new experiences in between new knowledge right like and so you can't you can't go back to that kind of naive state right yeah yeah. sorry and the weird thing in this episode they were saying is that actually people who have memory disorders like amnesia strangely have the memories most preserved in their original state 
I don't know. <laughs> yes, um, that might be because they're relying more on what's called semantic memory. And so for semantic memory, it might be easier to kind of repeat the same thing. And yes, so that's the, you know, the amnesiac who tells you the same story in pretty much the same way over and over again, because it's not being re-experienced for them. You had given me a few questions to ask you, which I thought were very interesting, and I'm sure they'll be interesting to our composer listeners, too. How much of creativity is in the head? Yes, thank you for asking that one in particular, because <laughs> I think um, we think of thinking as in the head, but a lot of it's not in the head. I mean, of course, it is grounded in the brain, but in, this might be one of your potential questions, is this sort of how do we get unstuck from if we're in a creative block or something. And one of the things is, is just to start doing things because our natural way of thinking is not just to plan everything out in our head ahead of time. It's kind of to what in um, cognitive psychology and neuroscience is termed the perception action cycle or in more art forms might be more like see, move, see. So I do something in the world, I look at what effect that had, and then I act on the world again. And it's this continual cycle. So I don't have to do it all up front. And if I'd only just start with something, then there would be stuff for me to look at, to respond to, to listen to. And then I can bring to bear my ability to see patterns and so forth once it's out there in the world. Students really resonate with this, the notion that why did we procrastinate? And one of the reasons that we procrastinate is that we're, we think we need to do it in our head. But if we would just start, we'd actually be doing it and, and we'd get all the feedback from doing it. One of my um, favorite quotations by a poet is um, Al Purdy, and he talks about us as having um, small elves in the head. And they're kind of like continually busy with their own affairs and, and that the best we can do when we want to be creative is to kind of have a collaboration with them. And I really think that that captures like, I mean, I know it's poetic capturing, but it actually gets a lot about how the brain works and how, you know, we think we know what our thinking is because we can hear our own voice about what we're supposed to be doing, etc. But that's, that's only a wee little bit about what thinking is. And, and there's all these things going on in our minds that we've, you know, previous goals we've had that we may not now have in the foreground, but that they're still being worked on and a lot of things going on underneath our awareness. And so mm -hmm. um, a collaboration with the, the, the small elves. elves in the head. So, is <laughs> so how do we get all these elves working on the same project? <laughs> well, Purdy says like the best you can do is permit a collaboration. So you can't, you know, you can't shepherd them into what you want them to do. Then they have their own agendas, he says, and that, you know, they're busy about their own affairs. And so it's kind of like figuring out for yourself, what is it that allows those processes that are beneficial for creativity to go on? One of the, um, the things we often talk about is, I, I don't know, have you heard the expression shower time? Like good um, thinking happening in shower yeah, time. I, yeah, I know that experience. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and so then a, an important question is, because I think this might kind of answer the question about the collaboration in, in some ways, is so what's special about shower time? Well, 
I think the fact that you're cut off from everything else, you're in your own bubble yeah. in the shower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also either you're waking up or going to bed, <laughs> so you're probably in a different state. Yeah, yeah. Is like some part of the tactile stimulation on your yes. body from the water? Yes, yeah. And, mm. and you're self-touching yourself, right? Like, so it's very um, multimodal in a way. Like, there's sound, the water, right? There's mm -hmm. the touch of the water. There's the touch of yourself, you know, shampooing or doing whatever you're doing. Um, you know what you're about, right? You know how to do it. But you're still accomplishing something. It's something mm. you need to do. And you don't have to think about it too much. And um, there's recent research that shows that that's actually optimal for kind of thinking in the background. Like you don't want to have nothing to be thinking about and you don't want to have something that takes all of your resources. It's kind of this in-between thing. And so often we have like really good ideas or see connections and so forth during those kind of times. So one question you could ask is kind of like, well, how could I make times that are sort of like shower time for myself in my creative process and like small breaks that you take from working on something like if you just get up and make a cup of coffee or something like that that might be sufficient time it's kind of routine and so forth mildly pleasant etc you might have different ideas see different connections then I think I shared with you uh, that really interesting article on interviewing composers and their process and noticing that often they had really good ideas when they moved between pieces of equipment or like there's mm -hmm. kind of a bit of a break in the process, right? Like, so mm -hmm. have, have you noticed that in yourself or if other people commented to you about such? Yeah, um, well, I, I think one thing for me that's kind of along those lines is switching instruments when I'm composing, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. switching from a live piano to a synthesized piano or mm -hmm, guitar mm -hmm, going mm -hmm, back and forth. Mm -hmm. And sometimes even just getting away and just thinking the melodies in my head mm -hmm, is mm -hmm, sometimes mm -hmm. those are the best kind of ideas. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. So different. And, and um, each of those things, like there's breaks when you go from one instrument to another, but there's also kind of um, like this getting back to the environment again that different objects or different tools have different affordances for us and so changing what the instrument is or here we're talking about music but if it was like something like writing like you know writing with pen as opposed to on the typing on the keyboard or or whatever like it just kind of affords different ways of thinking or different ways of looking at and getting information from what's out there yeah i was thinking about your perception action cycle that you were talking about too mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like how it's immediate feedback when i play piano and i'm not the best piano player ever so a lot of times it'll be like i'm responding to a mistake i made or something like that and maybe that changes the direction of the piece right it isn't necessarily best to have a high level of facility with something and so um this is a, a paper that we were um reading recently looking at 
engineers who were um, either first-year engineers or senior-level engineers, and they're given a creative task to come through with this idea for breakthrough um, alarm clock. And there was actually two things about the study that are interesting. One, um, one of the techniques they used was called empathic design, where they actually had people wear oven gloves and handle the clocks. They had two clocks that they could look at, and they had to handle these with oven gloves, or in some cases with earmuffs or earplugs in that was beneficial to the creativity process because it changed their habitual way of interacting with things. And the second thing was that the more junior engineers actually came up with more novel ideas than the more senior students. And one of the reasons was was because the senior students knew lots about how to draw things. And, you know, like they became very detail-focused and were doing projection drawings of things and so forth. And so very fluent in certain skills, but applying them probably too early, like where, you know, what they were trying to do was idea generation, not necessarily work out all the technical details of how this would actually work. And so sometimes being less fluid with something can actually be an asset to creativity can, can, can yeah. be helpful. So yeah, no, I, I sometimes think about that because I I know how music theory works and how chords are supposed to go, and sometimes I feel like I'm in that rut of like, oh, I, I can't accept this certain chord progression because it's not what I've learned in school or whatever. Yeah, it's interesting how sometimes like having the knowledge is actually detrimental, right? Like it's kind of as if there is a right way, like there might be for some purposes, but for other purposes, not. And yeah, it's, it's, that's kind of an abstract imposition that you're putting on yourself as well. Like there's kind of rules, higher order rules that this is supposed to be happening, but maybe rules are meant to be broken at least some of the time. And so Mm -hmm. kind of knowing when it's, this is when that should be set aside and we should do something different. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for composers out there who might be trying to put themselves in a more creative mindset? In the lab and in other labs, people have been working on like kind of short-term exercises that people can do right before a, a creativity session. I think you know about the work that we did in our lab with the alternative uses task, which is a very common task for measuring creativity in which you're asked to generate alternative or non-standard uses for some objects, such as a toothpick or whatever it is, a common object. And we found that just asking people to do that for 10 minutes was associated with subsequently improved problem-solving performance and also performance on fluid reasoning tasks. So then the question is, is well, what is it about doing that task? And if you think about it, and I don't know, like, um, I'll, I'll give you an object now. So, so okay. um, alternative uses for a penny, just anything that you could think of. Um, well, uh, for deciding uh, heads or tails, uh-huh. um, I think, yeah, screwdriver, improvised screwdriver, maybe. Yeah. Um. Conducting electricity, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, on, yeah, copper, yeah, does that do that? I don't know. <laughs> not yeah. a scientist here, but um, uh, maybe for a game of, like, football, like you push it across the table, try to keep it on just oh, just over the edge without falling off. Okay. Used yeah. to do that. Yeah. Um, hmm maybe for 
an art project of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, guitar pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that mm-hmm. I'm looking at my guitar, I yeah, see. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, so how are these ideas coming to mind? Well, some are coming from past experiences of yeah. actually using them for these things. Yeah. And looking around, seeing my guitar. <laughs> yeah, using your environment, right? Your environment mm-hmm. is always cueing you in, in, or can be, right? Like in mm-hmm. beneficially or sometimes not beneficially, yeah? You were thinking about what a penny is made of. Part of what you're doing is becoming more kind of multimodal about it. Like, what does it feel like? What does it look like? How hard is it? You know, is it flat? And um, sometimes in our day-to-day existence, we tend to get more abstract and verbal and very conceptual as opposed to kind of really thinking about how things actually feel or sensory information or motor information. Because we can do a lot on this kind of what I've sometimes described as a surface net of words where we're just kind of thinking about things at this easy lexical level. But that's probably not really beneficial for creativity and and that creative ideas kind of come from reaching a bit deeper down and really mucking about with the sensory perceptual information that's there or emotional information, like just something more than the linguistic surface net of things. That makes me think of like composing on paper or in your head or whatever. There is, I think, more value sometimes to... Uh, actually playing an instrument and getting the feedback and I sometimes wish I was able to play every instrument I write for just to get that sense of like how they're going to sound yes yes I don't know what other software you use, like, but you can actually look at sound as well as, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. and that might give you sort of a different handle on what the music is, what the structure is, what the relations are. Yeah, I kind of sometimes think of, because I do a lot of producing also, and I kind of think of it as painting sometimes. Yes. Because, like, you can, the way you can blend things and see the whole structure of a piece mm-hmm. as you go. Which can be good and can be bad in some ways too, because sometimes you forget what the actual experience is of listening from start to finish. Ah, yes. Like, so in this, this thing about stepping up and stepping down is really like, so you want the big picture and you want the big structure, but you also want to know what's in the units or what's smaller, you know, down, down in there. And um, I was just reading a piece by Leonard Cohen and it's like songwriters on songwriting. And um, mm. he says that people don't want to hear about the tree. They want to hear about the sycamore and the mm. difference being like that we love detail. We, we want just, but not not so much detail, right? Like, so getting getting the right amount. So we want to be abstract, and it's helpful to be abstract, and that's kind of the big picture or the configuration of the piece, right? But at the same time, if it's really abstract, it's kind of boring, and it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have enough hooks, right? It doesn't yeah, have, yeah, and you don't get any sensory experiences from it, too, if someone just has words that are all just really abstract in their yeah. songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember reading something about how our mood has an impact on the different kind of abstract or detailed thinking. That might be another tip for creative warm-ups or something, is to do something that's kind of mildly pleasant. Because when we're in a mildly pleasant 
affective state, we tend to have somewhat more permeable categories for things. So let's say I ask you to name vehicles or name pieces of clothing or something. When you're in a more positive affective state, you'll be willing to include things that maybe according to stricter rules, we were talking about rules before, maybe wouldn't count. Like so, do you know, is a belt clothing? Well, maybe, or a purse or, or, do you know, vehicles? Would you think of feet as a vehicle? Yes, they are or a camel, or, or things that are kind of outside of our immediate universe. And positive affect can make us a little bit more flexible. And so um, having a sense of humor is probably really good for creativity, actually. That would be yeah. Kind of I remember seeing a talk about brainstorming, and that it's so beneficial, like, even in office, especially in office environments where people are maybe so stiff and rigid with their thinking, to get them laughing and maybe have cookies also yes <laughs> yes any any kind of positive affect booster is is um i actually sometimes in my classes have people just stand up and stretch etc like do you mm. know like the, all of these things that we do that lead us to be a little bit tense they're, they're all kind of detrimental to our thinking abilities and actually there's recent research from people at stanford showing that just having you do kind of smooth curvy kind of movements fluid movements actually helps with insight problem solving and also this potentially increases your category permeability like we were talking about before like what we're willing to call a a particular vehicle or, or whatever the category is and so I think there's a lot to be learned from people who are performers or musicians because they've learned things that actually help them to be more creative Could you explain your concept of detail stepping? Okay, so it's kind of the notion that we can think about things at multiple levels of abstraction. So think, for example, of dog. You can think about dog, or you can think about a particular type of dog, or even a particular instance of a dog that you've experienced. It's kind of similar to the tree versus the sycamore example. That's true for objects, but it's true for actions as well. Like, so if you're pressing keys on the keyboard, that's different than if you're or playing a passage and so you you have all of those different levels that you can focus on at a given time and and there's evidence that people when they're being creative kind of do that they move between kind of an overall plan like now they're doing this and then and then they jump down and fill in something that's kind of more specific down there and then jump up again and so forth so how do you change like let's say you're too abstract now and now you want to be into in a more concrete or more specific frame of mind how do you change that in um, one way that research has shown that you can change it is change your psychological distance so it's psychological distance could be distance in time so let's say i give you a set of 50 items and these are all going to be in a yard sale and i say put them into categories and the yard sale is a year from now Hmm. Okay. Or I say, put them into categories and the sale is tomorrow. If it's tomorrow, you put them into more categories. You make more fine-grained distinctions than if it's a year from now. Because hmm. a year from now, 
things in the distant in future in in probability or in physical distance as well we tend to see them more abstractly but when it's closer in time closer to us then we see more distinctions yeah i wonder how that works when let's say a composer gets a commission to do a piece that's (laughs) going to be performed a year from now versus we have to perform this tomorrow, so you better come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's um like I think that using that to help you see what you might not be seeing at a given moment, right? Like if you say, imagine that I'm doing this a week from now, it really might help you think more about what actually is required to do this. Because when it's far out in time, it's kind of more like we think about why or the implications and those kinds of things. But when it's near, then we start to think, well, how exactly am I going to do this? <laughs> right like well what shoes am I wearing would you know like if if you're going or whatever it is right it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a decision that has to be made Mm -hmm. as part of that actually at hand so I had a few questions for you too Um, some of these are um, um so um how would you change your tools to be more creative well I guess one thing that I've thought about so we talked about how I'm not the best pianist ever mm-hmm I think being better at an instrument would actually help in my composing process because, Mm -hmm. like, if I was a faster guitar soloist or something, maybe my brain would be able to think faster melodies, Mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. So just more practice at it, Mm -hmm. do you think? I think so. So what encourages you to play and imaginatively stretch your boundaries? Uh, Well, I think that playing with other musicians is huge and especially if we're both in the same mindset of like no preconceived ideas of what this jam session is going to sound like Mm -hmm. in college i was in a experimental group and the results were pretty cool and i think it was because we weren't in the rigid fear mindset that like oh this isn't going to sound good if we don't do this this specific way. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and we actually ran into that when we started performing live for people because then it's like, oh, we have to entertain people now? Oh, that's a different, <laughs> a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard of the distinction between experimental artists and conceptual artists? Um, David Gallinson has looked at a lot of different artists in terms of whether they're more conceptual artists. And conceptual artists are people who have ideas and then they make them happen versus experimentalists who don't really know, but they mess about and mess about and mess about. And across different types of art, he's provided evidence that experimentalists keep going across the lifespan and also um, the value of their work often is higher later in their lives, whereas conceptual artists peak earlier typically and I don't know if it's a hard and fast distinction you know like and I think all of probably most artists have some of both but it's definitely true that some people are more kind of experimentalist. I think a lot of people feel like they don't have time to be creative maybe getting bogged down with 
regular life duties. Mm -hmm. Who was it? Oh, Gertrude Stein said that she could never write more than for 30 minutes a day. But she said, write 30 minutes every day? You write a lot. Like, and so it isn't necessarily... I think some people think that they need a big chunk of time in order to do something, but maybe that's not necessarily the case. Smaller units of time might be also very productive times and um, wading into creative projects rather than jumping like in writing it's always kind of reviewing what was written the day before and editing and it's not as hard as generating new text it's also reinstating ourselves into the ideal landscape that we were in before like kind of reactivating all those concepts and then thinking how we warm up for our creative times and to make the most of the times and sticking with it because if you write for 30 minutes a day for every day you you eventually write quite a bit actually Mm -hmm. well thanks again for coming on the podcast wilma thank you very much charlie it's been my pleasure i had a great time talking with wilma we ended up talking for about an hour after i stopped the recording with her creative partner john So thanks again to the two of you for joining me. And thank you, ComposerQuest listener, for tuning in. If you liked this episode and are looking in the back catalog, you might want to check out episode 29, Musical Illusions with Dr. Diana Deutsch. She's another brilliant psychologist. If you're a longtime listener, I'd love to hear from you, charlie at composerquest.com. Also, if you wouldn't mind doing a little iTunes review or Stitcher review, I'd really appreciate it. Now, I think it's that time again. Since I mentioned how I sometimes think of producing as painting, I thought I would give you an example of that. This track is from that experimental project I was talking about called Cage Tones. And my friend Nick Simon and I didn't really have any preconceived ideas of what this track was supposed to sound like. We just started with an electronic drone sound and Nick played some percussion instruments over it. And I took that palette of percussion sounds and mixed it all in like a painting. And here's the final product called Nets of Silver and Gold.
Thank you. 